the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Thursday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. I'm really excited about a conversation I had earlier today with Michael Knowles. He's the author of Speechless, Controlling Words, Controlling Minds. And he gives us a history of the politically correct movement and how conservatives have misinterpreted what political correctness is and in doing so, how we've... Uh, been left speechless. We'll talk with him in the second hour of today's program. Michael Knowles. The book is published, by the way, by Regnery. Uh, so that's all coming up in the uh, second hour. First, we'll take a look at some of the day's headlines. At least 26 people have been reported dead after historic rains linked to Hurricane Ida flooded northeastern states Wednesday night and Thursday morning. Eight people were confirmed dead in New York City. That includes a two-year-old boy, a 48-year-old female, and a 50-year-old man who were all found inside a home in the Jamaica neighborhood of Queens as a result of the severe weather. It was unexpected. It was quick and It was deadly. Officials say at least eight people died in New Jersey. Four were found dead in an apartment complex in Elizabeth. The city's mayor and spokesperson told local media three people died in Pennsylvania, suburban Montgomery County. And Connecticut state police and local authorities said an on-duty state trooper was swept away in his cruiser and later taken to a hospital. A 19-year-old man was found dead in Maryland. Speaking to reporters earlier today, President Biden said that he had spoken to the New York Governor Kathy Hochul and the New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy and intended to speak with Pennsylvania's Governor Tom Wolf. We want to express my heartfelt thanks to all the first responders and everyone working through the night well into the morning to save lives and get power back. Uh, There's a lot of damage. Um, uh, Mr. Biden said, I made clear to the governors, my team at the Federal Emergency Management Agency or FEMA is on the ground ready to provide all the assistance they need. Social media users in Pennsylvania and New Jersey, they captured images of videos of at least two tornadoes, including one at the National Weather Service that they confirmed just outside of Philadelphia. Authorities didn't have any immediate information on related injuries, but in Kearney, um, New Jersey, the roof of a post office building collapsed with people inside, but there was no immediate word about injuries, according to the local media. In Rockville, Maryland, authorities said about 200 people were displaced and one person was missing due to the weather there. Water rescues continued into uh, this morning and through a travel ban uh, was uh, lifted in New York. Residents of both New Jersey and New York were urged to stay off the roads impacted by the storm. So this has been a deadly season for those caught up in it, not just uh, the hurricane, but other areas as well. Well, President Biden, a stranding of Americans in Afghanistan, has left the White House official, at least one, appalled and literally horrified. And that, by the way, is in quotes. A White House official claimed to be appalled and literally horrified that the president left Americans stranded there. A new report reveals the official told Politico about being stunned by the president's decision to leave Americans behind as the Taliban has solidified its power in the country and reportedly engaged in door to door executions. 
The official said, apparently on condition of anonymity, I am absolutely appalled and literally horrified we left Americans there. It was a hostage rescue of thousands of Americans in the guise of an NEO, non-combatant evacuation operation, and we have failed that uh, no-fail mission, end quote. Another administration official told Politico about not considering the mission to be accomplished if Americans were abandoned in the country. A majority of Afghan interpreters and other visa applicants were left behind in the U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan. That's according to a senior State Department official in a briefing with reporters uh, yesterday. About 20,000 Afghans who helped the U.S. during the two decade war in Afghanistan applied for special immigrant visas or SIVs, as you're often hearing them referred to as of the 15th of August, with that number ballooning to 100,000 if you include the family members of those 20,000. Now, many Afghans were reportedly turned away from the Hamid Karzai International Airport in Kabul over the last several weeks, where overcrowding, Taliban security checkpoints, and a terrorist attack hindered the evacuation. The State Department official said initial reports indicate that most Afghan SIVs and other visa applicants were not able to evacuate. Most, the majority. Everybody who lived it is haunted by the choices we had to make and by the people we were not able to help, the official said, according to the Wall Street Journal. Now, that's something of a misnomer. The arbitrary date of the 31st of August was set by the United States. The Taliban held the U.S. to it, but the United States had the power in the facility to say, no, we're not leaving until we get our people out, giving the Taliban perhaps an incentive to help in that process. Well, while the U.S. helped evaluate or rather evacuate over 120,000 people from Afghanistan during the second half of August, the exact breakdown of evacuees uh, nationalities is pretty unclear. Just 8,500 Afghans were evacuated during the entire process, according to initial estimates reported by NBC News. But according to CBS News, the U.S. is currently housing 17,000 Afghan refugees with another 40,000 in processing at military bases overseas. And because of the way this evacuation was done, once the U.S. military had pulled away and then had to return in larger numbers, it was not run well. And the danger elevated, escalated over time. The SIV program is obviously not designed to accommodate what we just did in evacuating over 100,000 people. Perhaps this program should be looked at going forward, Austin said. That's Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin of the program that was not designed for an evacuation like the American withdrawal from Kabul. That's why you generally remove the um, SIVs, the U.S. residents and others before You move the military before a country is overrun by the Taliban that had, we've now learned, offered to give Kabul, at least in the short term, to the U.S. um, and the U.S. declined the SIV program. The BBC is reporting that the Taliban are personally engaged in a bloody reprisal campaign against Afghans that worked with the American military, despite the fact that Afghan Taliban said, well, we're reformed. We're a different group than we were before. Maybe they've had a change of clothes but apparently not a change of heart. One of the looming ramifications of the president's uh, pullout is the potential of a terrorist attack on U.S. soil carried out by a few jihadis who may have infiltrated the ranks of thousands of Afghan allies the U.S. hurriedly worked to extradite prior to the deadline. The U.S. evacuated 120,000 people since the end of July, including roughly 6,000 Americans. In his self-congratulatory speech on Tuesday, the president happily boasted about this extraordinary success that might be a bit premature. Well, due to the president's malfeasance in pulling U.S. troops out of Afghanistan before ensuring that all Americans and genuine Afghan allies were safely, orderly, and completely removed from the country. 
The Taliban, as we know, swept back into power. Well, that not only forced the U.S. to scramble and negotiate from a weakened position, but it left the entire country under enemy control while the U.S. tried to figure out who to evacuate. Well, the debacle cost lives of 13 American patriots, more than 100 Afghan civilians, and the sad reality is that it may indirectly lead to the loss of more American lives. As Ken, uh, Kenneth Gray of the University of New Haven, Connecticut, explained, that the threat of having Islamic State or Al-Qaeda coming into the country is not increased through the southwest border. It's uh, it's the entry of Al-Qaeda and Islamic State and the groups of refugees that are being taken out of Afghanistan and possibly to the United States because of a lack of vetting procedures that would normally go on to expedite getting all of these people out of Afghanistan. Well, in the rush to evacuate as many Americans and Afghan allies as possible, the State Department passed out blank special immigration visa forms, blank. And as Gray noted, when you provide blank visas without specific names already on them and without going through the vetting process, don't be surprised when you end up with ISIS or Al-Qaeda showing up with those visas in hand. Well, because the situation there was rushed and with the Taliban surrounding, well, uh, the only means of escape at the Kabul airport, verification became a secondary issue. How do we know these Afghans are who they claim to be? How do we know which ones are terrorists incognito? Well, the short answer is that in many cases, we simply don't. Yet now the administration is looking to bring in some 50,000 refugees into the U.S., roughly 20,000 already here with the balance of U.S. military installations overseas. To be clear, those Afghans who put their lives on the line fighting along the U.S. and against the Taliban should be welcome here. Uh, they've earned their place in the United States Um and uh, the fact that they were betrayed, tens of thousands of them, by leaving them behind only exacerbates the problem. In fact, among the abandoned is a man who in 2008 helped rescue several U.S. senators, including then-Senator Joe Biden. Mr. President, save me and my family, Mohammed said, don't forget me here. Well, he has been forgotten there. In fact, despite the president's boasting, his State Department admits the U.S. left behind a majority of our allies. Next time we need help with the holistic country... Who's going to trust us? Instead, they'll tell us, well, to pound sand is one way to put it. People across the U.S. watch the debacle. There's virtually unanimous agreement on two fronts. First, no American who wants to come home should have been left behind. And second, we must ensure the safety of the Afghans who helped us. At this point, it's not clear how, if or when that may be the case, although we're being regularly assured that that's the priority of the State Department and this now diplomatic mission. We'll continue to follow that story as it invariably will develop. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Just a reminder, coming up in the second hour, we'll talk with Michael Knowles, author of Speechless, Controlling Words, Controlling Minds. We're going to talk about the origins of political correctness and where we go from here. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in our second hour, we're looking forward to a conversation with Michael Knowles, author of Speechless, Controlling Words, Controlling Minds. That's coming up in the second hour of The Georgine Rice Show. Also want to remind you, we are welcoming Steve Brown with Key Life Network here on 93.9 KPDQ weekdays at 930. Steve works to communicate the inspiring truth of the grace we have in Christ Jesus. And what an inspiring truth that is. How we can apply that truth to our daily lives as well as sharing it with others is going to be the focus of this um, wonderful program. Airing weekdays at 9.30 p.m. right here on 93.9 KPDQ-FM.
Well, retired military leaders are demanding mass resignations of the Biden military team. Milley, Austin, Blinken and Sullivan. Not likely to happen, but they're insisting. Top Pentagon leaders made a stunning admission about America's relationship with the ruthless Taliban. And an ex-Navy SEAL, Jack Carr, um, to Tucker Carlson, he says the U.S. approached the war in Afghanistan all wrong since 9-11-2001. Jen Psaki dodged questions about Biden's pressing the Afghan president to change the perception of the Taliban's dominance. And Tucker Carlson said, claims that uh, Democrats only care about maintaining power and Afghanistan proves that. Well, you can't paint with a broad brush an entire party, but certainly the president is responsible ultimately for decisions that were made there. Mark Levin asks, how many Anne Franks are in Afghanistan? The Afghan people left behind are fighting to survive much like Jewish victims in Nazi Germany. Life, Liberty and Levin host Mark Levin asserted on Wednesday on the Hannity program. How many Anne Franks are there tonight in Afghanistan? He asked how many Anne Franks are hiding in cellars all across the country today. I want to talk about the people left behind, not the one hundred and twenty four thousand who've been evacuated to safety. I want to talk about the millions who now have had genocide unleashed upon them. Levin pointed out that the Afghans were living mostly in peaceful and safe uh, peace and safety before Joe Biden's presidency with a minimal American military footprint. Levin hit about, out about uh, who he's calling. He's called propagandists in the administration, including press secretaries Jen Psaki of the White House, and, um, Admiral John Kirby of the Pentagon, State Department spokesman Ned Price, as well as generals who he blasted for leaving American citizens in Afghanistan. In other developments, Tammy Bruce points out that the surrender of the Taliban has consequences far beyond the country. MSNBC's Chris Hayes downplayed the Biden's uh, phone call with uh, Afghan President Ghani, saying it's uh, not a scandal anymore than the war itself was. Now, you might recall Donald Trump was um, impeached by the Democrats on a very similar call. We have the audio of the call between President Biden and um, uh, Ghani, the former Afghan president. Uh, So there's no question about what was said, but my guess is he'll get a pass on this one. Don Lemon advises we stop beating up on the Biden administration over Afghanistan, saying we don't know if we left Americans behind or not. Well, he probably hasn't been listening because we've been told by uh, Biden officials that, yes, we did leave Americans and Afghans behind. Well, Hannity and uh, Don Lemon, who spent, what, four years um, beating up on the previous president, Hannity torched a disillusion, uh, delusional rather, White House chief of staff for touting Afghanistan as a success. The California teacher who removed the U.S. flag suggested students pledge allegiance to the gay pride flag has been removed from the classroom to where it's not altogether clear. The California teacher who went viral after bragging on, in a TikTok video that she had taken down the American flag in her classroom because it made her feel uncomfortable and suggested that her students should say the Pledge of Allegiance to a rainbow flag has been removed from her classroom. She had been removed from the classroom and placed on administrative leave as our investigation continues. That's a quote from the Newport Mesa school spokeswoman, Annette Franco, uh, on Wednesday. The teacher was identified uh, as uh, Kristen Pitson of Newport Mesa School in Orange County. The video, which was inaccessible on TikTok on Wednesday, but had been preserved by Twitter account, lasts just under a minute and shows the, the teacher telling a quick story about how the pledge works in her classroom. Okay, so during third period, we have announcements and they do the Pledge of Allegiance, she says in the video. I always tell my class, stand if you feel like it. Don't stand if you don't feel like it. Say the words if you want. Don't have to say the words. 
end quote. Then she whispers that she took down the American flag in her room because it made her uncomfortable. And Lord knows in the United States in the 21st century, none of us should ever be made to feel uncomfortable. In other developments, a pro-Antifa California teacher will be fired by the school district after a leaked video emerges claiming, I only have 18 months, what was it, 18 months, 180 days, whatever it was, uh, to make these students revolutionaries. Had the Antifa flag in the room and gave extra credit for kids who would show up at protests. Nicole Hannah-Jones says the 1619 Freedom School in Iowa teaches black history and not critical race theory. By the way, next Wednesday, I'm looking forward to interviewing Mary Graybar. She's written a book about the 1619 Project. That's next Wednesday. An L.A. teachers union boss is being bashed for claiming kids don't lose anything or didn't lose anything during the pandemic lockdowns. I think a lot of parents might beg to differ. Well, the U.S. Supreme Court voted to leave Texas abortion law in place. Roberts sided with the liberals in this case again. A North Carolina high school shooting left one student dead and the suspect is finally in custody. LaForche Paris is reeling from Hurricane Ida, but resilient. It's been a struggle, but we're doing okay. A report from that parish. Chicago sees an August spike in homicide amid difficult days for the police department for reasons we don't need to uh, repeat. A Cincinnati hospital poll on covid vaccine shows a third of nurses would quit rather than be forced to take one. Now, the nursing shortage that we already have will be exacerbated if that, in fact, is the case. Well, the president vows uh, the whole government's uh, response to the Texas pro-life law will be swift and, um, well, meaningful. The president condemned a ruling by the Supreme Court on Texas. That ruling really wasn't a ruling. They decided not to take up the case. The Heartbeat Act on Thursday says the court's decision insults the rule of law. The Supreme Court ruled 5-4 to four late Wednesday night to deny abortion providers' requests for injunctive relief against Texas' new law banning abortion after six weeks. The president weighed in on the ruling Thursday, uh, calling it an unprecedented assault on a woman's constitutional right under Roe versus Wade. So the president stands firmly on the constitutional right to take the lives of unborn children. The president went on to say by allowing a law to go into effect that empowers private citizens in Texas to sue health care providers, family members supporting a woman exercising her right to choose after six weeks, or even a friend who drives her to the hospital or clinic. It unleashes unconstitutional chaos and powers self-anointed enforcers to a devastating impact, the president said in a statement. He went on to say complete strangers will now be empowered to inject themselves in the most private and personal health decisions faced by women. This law is so extreme it does not even allow for exceptions in the case of rape or incest. And it not only empowers complete strangers to inject themselves into the most private of decisions made by a woman, it actually incentivizes them to do so with a prospect of $10,000 if they win their case. Well, that's what uh, it will be charged. I'm not sure it goes to the person extending the charge. Well, the president was referring to the fact that the Heartbeat Act allows any person to sue doctors, abortion clinics, and anyone who knowingly engages in conduct that aids or abets the performance or inducement of an abortion. Those who sue over an abortion may be awarded $10,000 for each um, procedure the defendant per, um, performed, induced, aided, or abetted in violation of the law. Monetary amounts that some pro, uh, pro-abortion activists are calling bounties. For the majority to do this without a hearing, without the benefits of an opinion from a court uh, below and without due consideration of the issues insults the rule of law, the rights of all Americans to seek redress from our courts. The president said, praising 
uh, dissents by Chief Justice John Roberts, Justice Stephen Breyer, Sonia Sotomayor and Elena Kagan. Rather than use its supreme authority to ensure justice could be fairly sought, the high court of our land will allow millions of women in Texas in need of critical reproductive care to suffer while courts sift through procedural complexities to suffer. Again, no mention, no regard for the unborn. Meanwhile, Speaker Nancy Pelosi on Thursday said that the House will vote to enshrine into law reproductive health care for all women across America following the Supreme Court's refusal to block the Texas law that prohibits abortion after a heartbeat can be detected. Her comments come after the Supreme Court in their decision just before midnight on Wednesday evening rejected a challenge to the Texas law that prohibits the abortion of an unborn baby once the heartbeat can be detected. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We need to take a break, but we will be back in just a few moments. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, the State Department admits the majority of Afghan SIVs, that's special immigrant visa holders, were left behind. The State Department official said in a private briefing to reporters that the majority of special immigrant visa applicants were left in Afghanistan due in part to the complications of the evacuation and that he and his team are haunted by their the evacuees the U.S. could not get out by August 31st. Of course, there were ways around that. I won't get into it. Another story reminds us the special immigrant visa program set up in 2009 aimed to help those at risk of Taliban reprisals for helping the U.S., including interpreters for U.S. military and diplomatic and foreign aid workers. The British administration has been under intense pressure by lawmakers. I should say the Biden administration, veterans and other advocates to do more to help the more than 20,000 Afghans and their family members. Um, and other advocates to do more to help them. Um, they've already applied for the visas when the U.S. decided to withdraw, including their family members. As many as 100,000 may be eligible for relocation. The Washington Post's Dan Lamont says this. A few things um, uh, are true. The airlift out of Kabul evacuated more than 100,000 people. The majority of Afghan FU, uh, SUV or rather SIV applicants were not on those planes, the State Department now says. The administration promised SIV applicants it would stand with you just as you stood with us. And then there's uh, this from Congressman Dan Crenshaw. He says, America, right now there is a private effort to get a plane of U.S. citizens and allies out of Afghanistan. They need to help um, get clearance to land in nearby countries. Biden's State Department is refusing to actively assist their response. Just uh, tell them to ask. Well, the U.S. Supreme Court rejected the effort to block a Texas abortion ban by a vote of five to four. And the president has been um, uh, um, caught telling the former Afghan president a lie and um tethering aid to his cooperation in doing so from the story in the New York Post. I need not tell you the perception around the world and in parts of Afghanistan, I believe, is that things are not going well in terms of the fight against the Taliban, President Biden said. And there is a need, whether it is true or not, there is a need to project a different picture. He goes on to uh, tether um, aid to the Afghan government, uh, to the prevarication he is suggesting Uh, The president there engage in interesting since um, Biden appears to have little trouble uh, lying to anybody. Andrew McCarthy argues it's not impeachable, however. Well, the Taliban is seen flying a UH-60 Black Hawk helicopter. We are also seeing images of them uh, protesting the fact that many of the helicopters uh, were left uh, in a state of um, 
disrepair so that they cannot be flown. But in the video, you can see the $21 million helicopter flying above what appears to be some sort of Taliban parade, complete with other U.S. taxpayer-covered vehicles. Hugh Hewitt says more and more shame is heaped on us. Another view from this or another parade where the Taliban drive U.S. military vehicles can also be seen. Well, President Biden's uh, job approval is underwater in many blue states, including four blue states where Democrats are running for reelection to the U.S. Senate. Details on his approval rating at about 41 percent. A look at the Senate races across the country in 2022, as some Democrats concerned. A collection of polls in 538 reveals Biden's disapproval numbers now higher than his approval numbers. And at Real Clear Politics, it's even worse. According to Rasmussen, 52 percent of voters are calling for Biden to resign over the catastrophic withdrawal. Well, Democrats blocked an amendment to stop sending U.S. cash to the Taliban. They blocked the amendment from Representative Jim Banks. He says, I submitted an amendment today that it stop our uh, money from going to the Taliban. But just a little while ago, we got word that Democrats blocked it. Only one reason why Democrats would do that. They have future plans to send them aid. Well, the representative um, is a veteran who fought in Afghanistan, Representative Jim Banks. The Major League Baseball Network booted Hall of Famer John Schmoltz uh, from the studio for not getting vaccinated. He and Al Leiter can still broadcast, but they're banished from being in studio. Sixteen states are challenging Biden's rule limiting ICE arrests from that story on Fox News. The coalition, led by Arizona Attorney General Mark um, Bronovich, uh, they filed an amicus brief at the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals on Tuesday, asking the court to deny the administration's request for a stay pending appeal so that Biden's guidance to stop enforcing immigration laws will be stopped while the case makes its way through the appeals process. Meanwhile, the U.S. has lost track of thousands of illegal immigrant children. Well, the House Armed Services Committee voted to require women to register for the draft. This time, some Republicans voted with the Democrats. And San Francisco is seeking to pay criminals not to shoot people. I'm looking for a check any day now because I commit myself to not shooting people. I ought to get paid. They're paying people not to shoot other people. Huh. David Fredoso points out where they've tried this, it failed, but they are calling it a success regardless. That's kind of where we stand today. The language doesn't necessarily represent the, the reality on the ground. Well, an Afghan interpreter who helped rescue the Senator Joe Biden in 2008 is still left behind. In fact, the majority of the Afghan visa applicants were abandoned in the U.S. withdrawal. The Defense Department is holding 20,000 evacuated Afghans in the U.S., 43,000 more overseas. Those left in Afghanistan, understandably, are complaining about the broken promises made by the U.S., Well, reports that the Food and Drug Administration officials plan to step down over the White House's COVID-19 booster shot guidance have created a mess for the Biden administration, according to Dr. Mark Siegel. In a statement on Tuesday, the FDA said that Marion Gruber, director of the agency's Office of Vaccines Research and Review, and her deputy director, Phil Krause, will leave in October and November, respectively. 
Siegel told America's newsroom that the seeming clash between the FDA and the White House has created a mess for the administration. There's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of finger pointing. This is a mess for the administration right now. Well, Siegel acknowledged that uh, studies out of Israel indicate a significant reduction of the spread of the virus, but that the confusion between the White House and health officials have complicated matters. It's a combination of things where the messaging is coming out of the White House and not the FDA and also out of the NIH with Tony Fauci and Dr. Francis Collins has said, hey, we might have the vaccines for the five to 11 year olds in a couple of months. Well, FDA hasn't reviewed the data yet. And with the boosters, the president himself said we're going to get boosters in a month. And the FDA says, wait, we haven't reviewed that data yet. So the president is ahead of, you know, what is supposed to be guided by science. Well, Siegel claimed, Dr. Siegel claimed that acting commissioner Janet Woodcock is also under fire, especially with her position not yet fully confirmed. Uh, Earlier this month, the president said the plan was for every adult to get a booster shot eight months after getting the second shot. Well, the White House decision comes with the surge of the um, highly transmissible Delta variant of COVID-19, which studies have shown is double the risk of hospitalization for unvaccinated individuals. Meanwhile, there have been far more than double the number of ambush style attacks on law enforcement so far this year compared to the same time in 2020. That's according to the National Police Union records. As of Tuesday, the Fraternal Order of Police recorded 67 ambush style attacks on officers year to date with 83 officers wounded. 20 of them did not survive. What we're witnessing should alarm all Americans. 2021 is on pace to have record levels of officers shot and killed by gunfire, the union said in a Wednesday tweet. There were 220 officers wounded. 40 of them were killed in the line of duty by the end of August. In the beginning of August, a 27-year-old named Austin Williams Lance fatally stabbed a Pentagon police officer, George Gonzalez, in an ambush-style attack, officials said. According to the FBI, Lance uh, took a bus to the Pentagon Transit Center, where he stabbed the 37-year-old officer in a seemingly unprovoked attack, but felt um, empowered to do so. Lance from Georgia allegedly uh, shot himself with the officer's weapon. The FBI said other officers also engaged the suspect, who was pronounced dead at the scene. Will there be law enforcement in the future? Well, the question isn't whether or not um, there'll be funding, because that is uh, drying up, sadly. But the question is whether or not there are going to be men and women who are willing to serve in that position, given uh, where we are today. Kodak's apology to China's government and its removal of an Instagram post showing the situation in Xinjiang had U.S. Senator Rick Scott deeply concerned. The Florida Republican said on Wednesday, yielding to China only empowers the Communist Party, the abuses and so on. Well, the region has been linked to an alleged genocide of Uyghur Muslims by Beijing Communist Party. Kodak deleted an online post showing several photos taken there by a photographer, which uh, Wax said showed an abrupt descent into an Orwellian dystopia. After receiving backlash from Beijing, Scott detailed in a letter on Wednesday to Kodak CEO uh, James Scott, uh, James uh, Contenza. Scott posted the letter on his Twitter page in July. Kodak posted a statement explaining its reason for removing the contact, uh, content, rather, saying Kodak's Instagram page is intended to enable creativity by providing a platform for promoting the medium of film. It's not intended to be a platform for political commentary. So it's now unacceptable political commentary to expose the Chinese government and show images of the genocide they're engaged in. And, of course, Kodak wants to continue to benefit by and prosper by the market in China.
You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Back in a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I want to remind you, coming up in the second hour of today's program, I'm looking forward to sharing a conversation I had with Michael Knowles. He's the author of Speechless, Controlling Words, Controlling Minds. It's a book I would recommend. The book is published by Regnery, and he will join us at the 5 o'clock hour. Well, a Sacramento school district confirmed that 24 students are still stranded in Afghanistan. You can read more in the Sacramento Bee. Yes, stranded is the word now being used appropriately. 52% of voters think Biden should resign over the Afghanistan withdrawal. And there's infighting in Congress over that very fact. Rahm Emanuel became the latest nominee to divide Democrats. And uh, the Israeli prime minister was surprised that President Biden hardly raised China during his visit. The Israeli prime minister, Naftali Bennett, had prepared for wide ranging discussions on China with the president and other senior U.S. officials. But the issue hardly came up. An Israel official who attended the Biden Bennett meeting says, well, why does it matter? Well, Chinese involvement in Israel become became a rare point of contention between the Trump and Netanyahu governments with the Trump administration warning of damage to the U.S. Israel security relationship. The former prime minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, dragging his feet on the issue. Well, before the trip to Washington, Bennett's aides prepared to discuss what they saw as Biden's top priorities, China, climate change and COVID-19. Bennett was happy to talk about the latter two issues, but he and his advisors were very nervous about the looming discussion on China. Two weeks before the White House meeting, CIA Director William Burns had told Bennett that U.S. was concerned about Chinese investments in Israel, particularly in the tech sector and involvement in major infrastructure projects. But in Bennett's meetings with the president, as well as with Secretary of State Anthony Blinken, Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin and National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan, China was only mentioned in passing, according to two Israeli officials, one who attended those meetings and another who received a full briefing. So what they're saying We're very surprised how little this issue came up in the meeting. In any case, we are very sensitive and aware of U.S. concerns and are going to balance between the need to strengthen trade with China and maintaining our national security, the senior Israeli official briefed on the meeting said. Foreign Minister Yair Lapid said at the press conference on Wednesday that there was no concrete demand coming from the U.S. about our relations with China and nobody asked us to change anything. It's important for us to maintain relations with China, but we will listen to the Americans when they talk to us about China as well. So what's next then? Well, China's policy will be discussed further um, in talks between the Israeli and U.S. National Security Councils, according to an Israeli official. At least that's what they think will happen. We'll just have to wait and see. Hurricane Ida's remnants ripped through Philadelphia, New Jersey and New York with Deadly consequences and a Colorado grand jury indicted police and paramedics in the death of Elijah McClain. The state health department is probing a Dallas fire rescue over alleged improper patient care, including in the death of Tony Timpa and California and L.A. County are both required to pay four hundred thousand dollars settlements to John MacArthur's church. Well, a few um, a fake high school tricked ESPN into airing one of its football games. Now, how you pull that off, I don't know. First of all, you have to have two opposing football teams. They have to have uniforms that all match. And then you have to communicate with ESPN, who agrees to broadcast it. Stranger than fiction. Well, the Veterans Affairs Suicide Hotline received more than 35,000 calls during the Afghanistan evacuation, which is a sad 
commentary in and of itself. The demise of Fox News has been greatly exaggerated. In August, the Fox News Channel won 94 of six, or rather two six, against all competitors combined. Well, on this day in history, 1945, Japan formally surrenders in ceremonies aboard the USS Missouri in Tokyo Bay, ending World War II. 1958, President Dwight D. Eisenhower signs the National Defense Education Act, which provides aid to public and private education to promote learning in such fields as math and science. 1960, Wilma Wilma Rudolph, rather, of the United States wins the first of her three gold medals at the Rome Summer Olympics as she finishes the 100-meter dash in 11 seconds. 1963, Alabama Governor George C. Wallace prevents the integration of Tuskegee High School by encircling the building with state troopers. On this day in history, 1963, the CBS News Channel, the evening news, I should say, with Walter Cronkite is lengthened from 15 to 30 minutes, becoming network television's first half-hour nightly newscast. Now we have 24-hour-a-day news coverage. 1969, the first automatic teller machine, or ATM, and uh, to utilize magnetic stripped cards is opened to the public in Chemical Bank, New York. Uh, called the DocuTeller, it was developed by Donald Wetzel. Night, uh, rather, 2003, the Federal Appeals Court in San Francisco threw out more than 100 death sentences in Arizona, Montana, and Idaho because the inmates had been sent to death row by judges instead of juries. 2005, President George W. Bush tours the Gulf Coast, meets with state and local officials, including New Orleans Mayor Ray Nagin. At one point, Bush praises FEMA director Michael Brown, telling him, Brownie, you're doing a heck of a job. Well, he wasn't, and Bush barely lived it down. 2009, Pfizer agrees to pay a record $2.3 billion settlement for illegal drug promotion. Well, the California high school teacher caught on camera boasting about having 180 days to turn them, his students, into revolutionaries, will be fired by the school district. The Natomas uh, Unified School District said in a letter on Wednesday, a Project Veritas video caught um, uh, his name is Endercum High School AP government teacher Gabriel Geip on camera explaining his plans to politically radicalize and indoctrinate his students with a far left Antifa aligned uh, ideology. The um, school district said in a letter that it spent two days investigating Geip's actions and his classroom environment. As of Wednesday, the district put him on paid leave, but the district said it would next uh, place him on unpaid leave before firing him. Now, my guess is he'll be hired and picked up somewhere else very quickly. In this video, a teacher at uh, Indercum High School was recorded sharing his educational approach that is disturbing and undermines the public trust. The Unified School District's letter said, by taking a day and a half to investigate beyond the video, the district was able to learn more facts essential to the next steps. Well, the school district learned that Guype violated the district's political action guidance uh, that outlines what staff can and cannot do while teaching. Guype received and opened copies of these um, guidelines in 2018, as well as September of 2020, according to the letter. For example, in addition to inappropriate statements from the video, the teacher posted a sign supporting a personal decision for at least local political issues and possibly more. Guype's classroom was cleared of all posters and signage on Wednesday morning, according to the letter. On his walls, he hung the Antifa flag, a pride flag, Mao Zedong poster, a flag of North Korea's ruling party and a Planned Parenthood flyer, according to photos. 
Wow. How he got away with it for that long is something of a mystery. And you couldn't convince me that no one else in that whole school district had any idea what he had been doing up to that point. Uh, If they didn't have any idea, then I question uh, what they've been doing. Well, North Carolina report highlights indoctrination in classrooms and offered some stories from parents and faculty on that very thing. Is your child being indoctrinated by their school and teachers? Now, this isn't happening everywhere by every teacher. There are lots of great teachers who are doing a great job, but that's not true everywhere. Well, this is what a report by North Carolina Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson, a Republican, tried to uncover. His recently published indoctrination in North Carolina public education report highlighted incidents of both parents and teachers who believe that their school is foisting indoctrination on students or faculty. The report is notable given the national debate about the influence of critical race theory in classrooms. North Carolina is currently considering legislation that would prevent the teaching of CRT in public classroom um, uh, at this point. Robinson explained why he thought a report like this was necessary. He said this is an attempt to stop the abuse of the teaching profession by a few, let's emphasize that, by a few who are using this profession to put undue pressure on young minds to accept their way of thinking. He said in a news conference, um, that's what this is. It's not an attack on teachers. The overwhelming majority of our teachers are hardworking folk who do a fantastic job every day. The report included many personal stories of parents, teachers and students complaining of indoctrination or intimidation taking place in the classroom, in the schools over issues like gender identity and critical race theory. He also offered a number of examples, which we'll share on another occasion. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We've got news and traffic coming here at the top of the hour. And then I'll be joined by Michael Knowles. He's the author of Speechless, Controlling Words, Controlling Minds. That's uh, coming up right after this. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, good afternoon and welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. My next guest makes the point that the culture war is over and the culture is lost. The left's assault on liberty, virtue, decency, the Republican form of government the founders established and Western civilization has succeeded. Well, how did we get to this point? That's the question. Well, in speechless, controlling words, controlling minds, national bestselling author and political commentator Michael Knowles of The Daily Wire reveals how political correctness is part of a large political agenda to stifle free thought through strategic control of language. He exposes and diagnoses the losing strategy that conservatives have fallen for and shows how they can change course and start winning. Well, my next guest, once again, is uh, Michael Knowles. He is a conservative political commentator, the host of The Michael Knowles Show at The Daily Wire. In addition to his daily podcast, he frequently writes opinion commentary and speaks on college campuses for the Young America's Foundation. In 2017, he published an Amazon best-selling book, Reasons to Vote for Democrats, a comprehensive guide, which consisted of chapter headings and 266 accompanying blank pages. Shortly after the book was released, then-President Donald Trump tweeted his endorsement of the book. Once again, he joins us today to talk about his latest, Speechless, Controlling Words, Controlling Minds. Michael Knowles, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me. It's so good to be with you, and I'm, I'm so uh, honored that you mentioned both books. One without any words in it, and then the other entirely about words. Now, is, <laughs> what a breath to talk about. Is there an irony in that? <laughs> One on language, <laughs> the other <laughs> lacking language. <laughs> yes, I, I felt it was really the only way to follow up with the number one 
best-selling blank book. And I, I, I'm really honored. I, I have to tell you, when I, when I came out with Speechless, I feared that people would not want to buy the book. It seems like a little bit of a dry topic, you know, <laughs> words and manipulation of language. And I feared that the critics would tell me to stick to what I know, namely nothing. But I'm, I'm really pleased, and I, I thank everybody who's made it, made Speechless a number one national bestseller, because I, I think this is the, the biggest problem that we face as a country. I know we're focused on wars overseas, we're focused on the economy and immigration. But frankly, I think that the left's manipulation of our language is the most effective tool that they have at reshaping our political order, because it reshapes our minds and it frankly reshapes our whole society. You make the point in the book that people often respond to that by saying, well, it's just simply semantics. But if we understand what semantics means, we understand the importance of resting control over the language and the impact that ultimately has the potential to make. That's right. Semantics means the meaning of words. So when people say, oh, it's just semantics, you think, well, that's that's sort of the whole argument, isn't it? And, and we're reminded that that whoever frames the issue wins the debate. And I, I think this is why the left is so focused on language. Who cares, they'll say, uh, if you call an illegal alien an undocumented American. And obviously the left cares, because what the left understands is that an illegal alien has no right to be in this country. But an undocumented American is an American by definition, so they obviously do. And I think this is why you're, you're seeing in particular the battle over the pronouns. Mm-hmm. So often I'll hear my conservative friends, they'll say, oh, just give up the pronouns. Just call Bruce Jenner she. It's not a big deal. But, well, I, I think it probably is a big deal. I think that's why the left is investing so much time and energy in, into making us call men she and women he, because if Caitlyn Jenner is a she, then she has every right to use the women's bathroom or play women's sports. If Bruce Jenner is a he, then he obviously does not have a right to, to the women's bathroom. So I think that the reason that this gender pronoun issue has become such a focal point is that if the left can redefine sexual difference, the fundamental distinction in human nature, then the left can redefine anything. And I think that's really their, their goal here is to redefine all the words in an attempt to remake reality entirely. The problem is they understand that the rest of us may not. Um, You write that the irony lies at the heart of political correctness. To call something politically correct is to acknowledge that it is not correct, at least by the standard of reality. A man in a dress is a man, but according to political correctness, he is a trans woman, a term with the same ironic structure. To call someone a trans woman is to acknowledge that he is not really a woman at all. Uh, understanding the power of the language we use, we choose to use, or we're being forced to use, really is at the heart of the issue. Yes, and we have been told since political correctness hit the public imagination about 30 years ago. I think I argue in Speechless that it has been developed for about a century, but we became aware of it about three or four decades ago. And we were told it was just a way of being polite. Yes, it uses euphemisms, you know, soft words to sugarcoat harsh realities, but but we do that all the time. When I refer to a woman of a certain age instead of to an old hag, I'm (laughs) I'm just being polite. I'm I'm softening reality. Can I just say thank you before you move on? (laughs) (laughs) You know, speaking to someone who is obviously 29 years old, I I would never use either of those terms. Uh, but, But, you know, there is a big difference here between the way that the left and the right use euphemism, because... It's one thing to to say, I'm going to go to the powder room instead of the bathroom. Uh, There might be powder in that room, depending on whatever whatever else you're going to do there either. Uh, But but there's a difference between that and referring to, for instance, 
a justice-involved person. That's the new euphemism for criminal. (laughs) It's used in the academy. It's used in legal circles. And it doesn't just soften the reality of a criminal. It inverts it. Whatever you want to call a criminal, he sure isn't involved in justice. And I I think you, you see it clearly as well in this trans woman argument. Whatever you want to call Bruce Jenner, He's not a woman of any kind. And so I don't think it's a, a matter of being polite. I think it's a way of deceiving people. I think it's a way of lying to people. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, we're living in those delusions. Right now, we're living in, in that culture of lies. You write that conservatives have failed to thwart political correctness because most of us don't understand what it is. Political correctness is not merely a synonym for censorship, though the two concepts are related. Political correctness is a standard of speech and behavior along leftist ideological lines. It no doubt censors certain words and actions, but then so does chivalry. Let's begin by um, talking about what political correctness is. It's not a matter of just censorship and liberty. It's much more profound than that, and you've touched on it already. Well, uh, thank you. I'm glad you, you focused on that point, because I think this is the essential point of the book. It is what I'm trying to get across to conservatives who may have their hearts in the right place, they have the best of intentions, but I think they are unwittingly actually advancing the cause of political correctness because they fail to recognize what PC is. So there's this strange fact that you know, we've been fighting over PC for several decades, and it seems the harder we fight, the more ground we lose. I think it is because the right has understood this or misunderstood this to be a battle between free speech and censorship. You always hear today, free speech is, is on the decline or cancel culture is on the rise. But in many ways, we're much freer to say certain things today than we were in the past. We're, we're now permitted to say all of those naughty words that George Carlin said could not be said on TV. In fact, these days it seems like it's almost obligatory. Uh, however, we're not allowed to state plain political truths. We're not allowed to say that a man is not a woman. We're not allowed to say that a baby is a baby in some cases. We're not allowed to say that our country is a good place, or we could be accused of bigotry or, or, or white supremacy or, or any other sort of slogan. We're not allowed to question our elections. We are not allowed to raise questions about massive public health uh, policies that are, are being advocated. So there's a little bit of a give and take. I think what's, what's really happening here is less a battle between pure free speech on the one hand and pure censorship on the other as it is shifting the limits of discourse. There are always going to be limits. There are always going to be taboos. There are always going to be standards. And what the left did in the middle of the 20th century was upend all of those standards. And now I think they're being resettled again in ways that are are really advantageous to the left and really harmful to the traditional American way of life. We're talking this afternoon with Michael Knowles. He's written a very important book. I would highly recommend all of us read it. Speechless, Controlling Words, Controlling Minds. We need to take a quick break, but we will continue in just a few moments. Again, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I'm continuing my conversation with Michael Knowles, his latest book, Speechless, Controlling Words, Controlling Minds. I think it's absolutely essential that we better understand what political correctness is, the power that it has, and the power we can deprive it if we understand the role that we ought to play in resisting this uh, this move. Now, you make the point that conservatives have wasted decades attempting to thwart political correctness, or PC, through dime store philosophizing over free speech, progressively abandoning 
our our substantive cultural inheritance for a misbegotten notion of liberty that can never exist in practice. Have we wasted so much time, as you point out, decades that we can't, once understanding political correctness, do something to reverse the trend in the culture, which, you know, sort of came late to this process that the culture was the focus. Can we reverse what we're seeing? I do think there's a glimmer of hope. You know, the difference between a conservative optimist and a conservative pessimist is a conservative pessimist says things can't get any worse, and a conservative optimist says, oh, yes, they can. (laughs) But I I do think that there is a glimmer of hope here. And you're seeing it at school boards. You're seeing it with parents showing up and saying, we're not going to let you indoctrinate our kids with these radical gender and racial theories. These are parents who run the gamut of class, of race, of geography. So I, I do think the American people still have common sense. But our ruling class, unfortunately, does not have common sense. And that includes the so-called conservative leaders and Republican leaders. And I think one of the biggest issues with our misunderstanding of PC is we don't understand what liberty is. So we think that because you're allowed to say a bunch of swear words on TV, that you somehow have more freedom of speech in in certain ways. But it's it's not – it isn't quite so simple. Uh, You know, what our founding fathers understood is that liberty is not licentiousness. Liberty is not the ability to do whatever you want whenever you want to do it. Liberty is the right to do what you ought to do. Liberty intrinsically Mm -hmm. has limits. The, The way I would bring it down to earth is just that According to the modern liberal view of liberty, uh, the heroin addict is the freest person in the world as long as he's got a couple bucks in his pocket and he can shoot up. Isn't he? He's so free. He's pursuing his desires. Now, of course, you and I know that man's not free at all. He's a slave. He's a slave to his base appetites, his basest passions. And in the traditional American and just generally classical understanding, we've understood liberty as the suppression of our basest appetites and, and bringing them into accord with our higher will. That was the whole point of liberal education is to make sense of your liberty and to enable you to govern yourself and to be a citizen. This is why when John Adams says the Constitution is built for a moral and religious people, he's not, he's not thumping his Bible. He's not being superstitious. He's just making an obvious observation about politics, which is that if, if you do not govern yourself, someone is going to have to come in and rule you. And so I think what the left did was they basically blew up all the standards at the latter part of the 20th century, and they upended our ability to govern ourselves and our higher liberty. And now that we're all living in a sort of decadent and licentious culture, uh, they are the ones that are imposing the necessary limits on us. You point out in your chapter on standards and practices that Uh, Radical theorists hadn't long pursued culture as their means of revolution before artists and producers of culture uh, took notice. And you give something of a history. Talk a bit about how the communists figured out that their revolution could never succeed as long as the common man was uh, attached to his own culture. And the significance of culture being the focus of uh, so much of what the left is trying to impact and change because it has the potential to have much broader impact in other areas. Well, this is the brilliance of the the man who I identify as the Mac Daddy godfather. (laughs) He was an an early cultural Marxist. I know that it's now politically incorrect to use that term, but he's a very very prominent Marxist philosopher who focused on culture. His name is Antonio Gramsci. And and he recognized that the, the reason the Marxian revolution had not happened is because the radicals had all these wonderful theories for upending 
society and, and liberating the poor oppressed masses. But the poor oppressed masses actually didn't really like the theories. <laughs> they liked their own culture and their own people and their own rituals. And so what Gramsci recognized is that the radicals had to attain cultural hegemony. They had to go in, infiltrate the established institutions, transform those institutions uh, into a position that is uh, more advantageous to them. And then and only then would they be able to make lasting gains. So this this was followed up by other leftist intellectuals. I'm thinking of the Frankfurt School, the critical theorists. Critical race theory is very much in the news these days. One of those critical theorists, Herbert Marcuse, reappears in the 1960s. He becomes the father of the new left, radical student movement. And th- this is where you saw the importation of Mao's writings, uh, you know, the communist dictator in China. You saw the rise of other radical groups, uh, student groups and non-student groups in the United States. And so I, I don't want to sound like a tinfoil hat person or like a conservative broken record when I, when I mention that political correctness has Marxist roots. And Marx isn't responsible for every problem in the world, but he is responsible for a great many of them. <laughs> and the, the people who developed this called themselves Marxists. And the phrase political correctness actually is a Marxist phrase. It was used by old line communists. And I think actually the whole endeavor comes from a line that Karl Marx wrote to Arnold Ruga, which is uh, when he called for the ruthless criticism of all that exists. I think that is largely what political correctness has been about. It has been about ruthlessly criticizing the nation, the family, the culture, the religion, the beliefs, the values, everything about the country, hollow it out from within so that in that now ruin of a civilization, a revolution can take place along leftist lines. So when the founder of Black Lives Matter says that I am thoroughly trained in Marxism, we ought to take that seriously, recognizing what that means. When BLM says, uh, you know, hollowing out the, the traditional family is one of our goals, we need to take that seriously and recognize what the ultimate goal is. Yes, when people tell you who they are, you should believe them. Absolutely. <laughs> it's not just not just that one founder of BLM, but actually her two co-founders as well, self-described Marxists. On the website, they talk about disrupting the Western prescribed nuclear family. Last I checked, you know, I've got some I've got many friends of color all around the country and their most important racial issue to their minds is not upending the nuclear family, but but that is something that Marxist activists have been after for a century. And, and so I think we do need to believe them. And uh, I think we need to recognize that the threat here is not not just to some policy or some other policy or one city or another. This is posing an existential threat to our entire way of life. Yeah, absolutely. And you can count me among your African-American friends or black or Negro or whichever is the in vogue uh, at the moment. Uh, once again, we're talking this afternoon with Michael Knowles. He's the author most recently of Speechless, Controlling Words, Controlling Minds. And by the way, there are lots of words in this book, if you're wondering. Uh, <laughs> covers all the important issues and helps us as conservatives recognize where we have fallen short, first of all, in understanding what political correctness is and then responding in a way that's going to be uh, effective. You have a chapter on the tolerant left and make reference early on to Maxine Waters, that influential Democrat politician who held uh, elected office since, as you point out, uh, and I'm reminded, the Ford administration. 
Um, and she has uh, suggested that um, uh, those who opposed at that time Donald Trump uh, need to pull out all the stops. We need, need to make the world a place where anyone who supports or worked with or embraces Donald Trump and his worldview, uh, there's no place for them in the world. That doesn't really reflect what we were led to believe political correctness was about and the tolerant left uh, urging us to embrace what um, we otherwise would not. Well, that's right. The tolerance was always uh, merely an instrument. It was just a, a tool, a, a fake out, so that they could install their new standards in the world. I think of Maxine Waters and, and other prominent Democrats who openly called for violence against conservatives because th- what the left did was define their own violence as speech and define conservative speech as violence. And I think this has roots coming back to Herbert Marcuse and the New Left. There's an infamous little essay that he wrote called Repressive Tolerance. And in it, he said that tolerance cannot tolerate intolerance. And he said that uh, a liberating tolerance would basically shut up all the conservatives and encourage speech from leftists. And people don't really talk about this essay very much anymore. But I think they should, because I think actually he makes a very good point here. Any any speech regime is going to have limits. It, he's right when he says tolerance cannot tolerate intolerance. Actually, when I think of John Locke, father of liberalism, in his letter concerning toleration, he said that some people cannot be tolerated. He was talking specifically about atheists. He said it would undermine his entire philosophy. Uh, John Milton said the same thing in Areopagitica. It's one of the most famous defenses of free speech in history. And he, he said that uh, atheists and Catholics <laughs> should not be tolerated. I'm glad that that is no longer in effect as a papist myself, but I see why he said it. What, what they were arguing is that we have to agree on some basic things in order to get along together, in order to have a political community. If we have nothing in common, if nothing is settled, then, then we do not have a nation or a political community. And what the left has done very successfully over the last century is upend every single thing that we had settled. We don't even speak the same language anymore. I'm not just talking about Spanish. I'm talking about English. Mm -hmm. We don't even know what a man is and what a woman is, so we can't agree on very much else. And I think it's important, while we talk about keeping an open mind and we talk about free and open debate, I think it's important for conservatives to recognize that certain things really do need to be settled. We need to agree on a few basic things in this country if we are to get along, because the, the calls for perfectly open, totally tolerant societies are are not possible. They've never existed anywhere in the world. Uh, George Soros, leftist financier, his, his foundation is called the Open Societies Foundation. And I, I think what has happened in our country is our minds have been so open that our brains have fallen out. <laughs> and that's now <laughs> closing again along the lines of the left. Yeah, yeah. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll continue our conversation again. My guest, Michael Knowles, his book titled Speechless, Controlling Words, Controlling Minds, is published by Regnery. You need to get your copy today. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I'm continuing my conversation with Michael Knowles. He's a conservative political commentator and host of The Michael Knowles Show at The Daily Wire. In addition to his daily podcast, he frequently writes opinion, commentary, and speaks on college campuses for the Young America's Foundation. In 2017, he published an Amazon best-selling book, Reasons to Vote for Democrats, a Comprehensive Guide. 
It consisted of chapter headings and 266 accompanying blank pages. <laughs> well, shortly after the book uh, was released, President Donald Trump tweeted his endorsement of it at that time. So uh, today we're talking about his book, Speechless, Controlling Words, Controlling Minds. Now, we touched on this just a moment ago, uh, but talk a little bit about the First Amendment and the fact that it doesn't require value neutral uh, a value neutral public square. We oftentimes acquiesce because we think that unity requires that kind of embrace of pretty much everything, at least quiet embrace, if not endorsement. Yes, I think this has been one of the big missteps that conservatives have made, because when, when, when we call ourselves free speech absolutists, and I've heard a number of conservatives say that, I think what we imagine ourselves to be standing for is the free speech American tradition, truth, justice in the American way. But we ought to remember that there are uh, whole swaths of speech that have been off limits from the beginning of the country. I'm thinking of threats, fighting words, uh, sedition, obscenity, uh, for instance, which are still illegal today, though these laws are not really enforced quite as much. When we call ourselves free speech absolutists, one, we're, we're speaking in terms that would be alien to the First Amendment and mm-hmm. to the philosophy of the founding fathers. But two, we are actually advancing political correctness because remember, the whole point of political correctness is to upend traditional standards. So whether you go along with the new woke standard or if you just give up standards entirely, either way, wittingly or unwittingly, you you are advancing that purpose. So I think it's important to remember that, that we actually can make some judgments about things, especially on obscenity. You know, just about a dozen years ago, we put a pornographer in federal prison for four years just for obscenity. I mean, and that, that was pretty recent. Uh, 20 years ago, a little over 20 years ago, the Clinton administration, a Republican House, Democrat Senate, Democrat president signed into law not one but two anti-indecency bills, the Communications Decency Act and the Child Online Protection Act, which even went even further and banned material that appealed to the prurient interest. Today, probably most people have never even heard that phrase, prurient mm-hmm. interest. Uh, we just think that it's not possible to make distinctions between good and bad things. There was a conservative columnist a few years ago who defended drag queen story hour as one of the blessings of liberty. I'm mm. not joking. And, and he, he did it because he embraced a radical skepticism. He said, you know, if we don't let perverts twerk for toddlers at the library, why then the left won't get, let us go to church on Sunday? First of all, they already don't want us to go to church on Sunday, <laughs> and they proved it during the coronavirus. But, but second, we have to acknowledge here that if we can't discern between a pervert jiggling for a kid and a pastor preaching the gospel, then we can't discern between anything. What we're admitting is we don't have reason, we don't have moral judgment. And if we don't have those things anymore, fortunately, we don't have the capacity for self-government. Hmm. We can't uh, end our conversation without making reference to Dr. Fauci. You point out in the book that in the early days of the epidemic, Dr. Fauci had one clear message for the public. It was stop wearing masks. And according to the good doctor, masking didn't um, just fail to stop the spread of the virus. It actually damaged public health. Then a month later, they all changed their minds. Um, in your chapter in which you uh, write about this, uh, the challenge of the current pandemic and the power that has been uh, wielded and the language that's been used, uh, not for the sake of conveying scientific truth, but for uh, reasons of manipulating the public, um, is an important uh, example of where we are today and what we need to be uh, mindful of moving forward. Can you talk a little bit about um, the, the the challenge that we're currently in and 
uh, how this uh, locking down dissent has uh, pretty much set in. Yes, I think Dr. Fauci is the high priest of this sort of thing. And he may not even know it. It is funny when you look at Fauci's early statements and he said, don't wear the mask, the masks don't work. And then later he said, you have to wear the mask. And then when he was asked what changed his mind, he admitted it wasn't science. He said it was a political consideration. He wanted to save the masks for his nurse friends. And so he lied to the people and said that the masks don't work when he really believed that they did. And Fauci has misled and lied many times over his career. He's a politician. That's what politicians do. But but he doesn't acknowledge that he's a politician. He actually came out and said that what he does is not political. And this is an absurd statement because public health is by definition political. Political and public are, are synonyms. Dr. Fauci has worked for the government for, for six presidential administrations. <laughs> he gets a paycheck from the government. He is a politician. And uh, what progressivism has done for the past century is has taken away power from the people and given it to unelected, unaccountable bureaucrats who allegedly know better than all of us, how we ought to live our lives. And we are supposed to mindlessly acquiesce to whatever they think. I'm not suggesting that Dr. Fauci's never had a good idea in his life. I have yet to hear it, but I, I'm not saying that. He might have good advice. But what is so offensive, what is so bizarre, is that Dr. Fauci is to be believed not on the basis of whether his advice is right or not. He is to be believed regardless of what he says, even if what he says today contradicts what he mm-hmm. said just a few hours ago. That, that is the kind of radical redefinitional power that the left is wielding in their language games. And I, I, it, they're doing it so well that they hide their tracks and they've convinced a large number of people that what they're doing isn't even really politics. Well, in fact, if you are questioning what's been said today and what's been said a week ago, you fall in the category of, of um, you know, terrorists. You're a danger to the to the nation. Right. You write in this chapter, Locking Down Dissent, the left's abuse of scientific credentials to affect political ends long predates the coronavirus pandemic, going back at least to the earliest days of global warming, then known as global cooling. Who knows what it'll be known in the days ahead? So this is there's nothing new under the sun, um, if you will. Now, we're just about out of time. Let me invite you to speak to our listeners today about whether or not you're optimistic, what we need to do to resist the tide, uh, first by understanding what political correctness is and then responding correctly, if you will. I do believe that th- there is some hope. I, ac- I actually do have that glimmer of hope because of the American people, because the left has so overplayed its hand and because reality does reassert itself in the end, though, though people who live in delusion can take us on a bad journey in the meantime. Uh, well, I think what needs to happen is that the right needs to stop focusing on its procedural abstract arguments about this totally pie-in-the-sky free speech that has never existed in practice. The fact is that an abstract notion of free speech doesn't mean anything to people who don't have anything to say. And all that the right has been able to agree on since the end of the Cold War is on the importance of temporarily cutting taxes. And I, I think that that is not a governing philosophy. And we need to recognize what our views of the good, the true, and the beautiful and and right and wrong are, and, and we need to pursue our political vision, and we need to be able to articulate it. Otherwise, we're going to leave a vacuum that is going to be filled by the left. Yeah, absolutely. Well, one way to begin that process in our own hearts and minds is by reading Speechless, Controlling Words, Controlling Minds, published by Regnery. Michael Knowles, first of all, thank you for the book, and thank you for taking time to talk with us here today. Well, the pleasure is all mine. Thank you so really much. appreciate it. Have a great afternoon. We'll be back. 
You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Earlier in the program, I made reference to a North Carolina report that highlighted indoctrination in classrooms. And I had a conversation during one of our breaks and thought, yeah, I'm going to share some of these examples because I think they're important uh, to give people a glimpse into what's happening in the classroom and perhaps encourage parents to pay a bit closer attention to what's being taught in their classrooms. Now, this comes out of North Carolina, but this is happening all across the country. First, there's a parent in Wake County says that most of the lessons in advanced placement English about white privilege and white supremacy. That's the subject. This is advanced placement English. Uh, well, the parents submitted a letter saying that their child, who was a high school junior, was receiving left-wing indoctrination in multiple classes. The student was told in history classes that if you were white and Christian, you should be ashamed, according to the letter. Now, the parents said that both teachers and students at the school are forced to engage in indoctrination about race and gender through the school's curriculum. Every single book, passage reading, and AP English classes about white supremacy and privilege, the parent wrote. In addition, the parent-child had been um, conditioned to merely give the answers the teachers wanted rather than what he really believed. My child has figured out that he or she needs to answer any opinion question the way the teachers want the questions answered and not give an actual honest opinion on the topic, the parent wrote. An actual opinion that doesn't conform to the woke culture would be criticized rather than thoughtfully discussed. Another parent says their child was intimidated in the virtual learning sessions. Uh, A parent of the student at Virtual Academy said that their daughter chose to stay on mute most of the year due to intimidation by the teacher. The parent said that students who agreed with the teacher's views were praised and rewarded, while those who disagreed were rebuked. So what happens? The teachers who or rather the students who disagree are simply silenced. Those that agree with the teacher's viewpoint um, got positive attention. Those who did not, such as our daughter, who had the courage to join the conversation that day, were told to chat um, to back down. Calm yourself. Some are going to try to make it hard on the majority of us who want equity for all, the parent wrote. Well, the parent said that uh, they want their daughter to be engaged and form her own opinions, but it's difficult when the teacher makes it clear that only a certain point of view is acceptable. In addition, the parent uh, said that they've been unwilling to say anything to the teacher or school principal for fear that their daughter might face backlash in future classes taught by that teacher. So that fear factor is accomplishing the goal. A student counselor instructed to support and promote gender transitions for children. This is another report. A student counselor at North Carolina Middle School wrote about being instructed to promote gender transition in children. Uh, The counselor said they were given a support plan at a meeting for when a student declares that they want to transition their gender. The counselor wrote that they were instructed in the proper procedure to change to the student's um, names, a name and preferred pronouns and told not to notify parents. I repeat that, told not to notify parents about what the child was doing. The counselor explained that these instructions directly violated their personal and religious views. As a Christian, I'm quoting, this practice puts me in direct conflict with my religion, the counselor wrote. As a parent, it terrifies me that a child can pursue transitioning with such liberty without the loving guidance of their parents, end quote. Well, the counselor said that they had avoided confrontation with the school administration out of fear of reprisal, but felt they could not continue to carry out the policy due to its conflicts with her, uh, their beliefs, morals, and conscience. Again, uh, you have the adult, the teacher, who felt they could not continue to carry out the policy. 
Another sixth grade English lesson filled with social justice, critical race theory jargon. English lessons in the sixth grade class in one North Carolina school were filled with left wing buzzwords, according to a parent. The parent wrote that all the um, uh, all of the words my child was learning were critical race theory buzzwords such as bias, discrimination, equity, in. Uh, equality, racist, and so on. These words were all taught in the context of painting white people as the bad people who perpetuate these things, the parent wrote. There aren't individuals, they're just groups to which we all belong, and we're either victims or we are perpetrators. This uh, wasn't the first incident, according to the parent who wrote the uh, school's English classes continually cover the same topics revolving around social justice ideology and include little about grammar and composition. I mean, in, in Oregon, it doesn't matter if you uh, graduate here, grammar and composition, it doesn't matter. I mean, if you want want to work at some point in the future and you don't know math or grammar or composition, uh, you probably will be unemployed, but the governor and legislators will be, well, they'll feel better about themselves. I have reached out, she goes on to say, to the teacher before with my concerns, and the only response I received from her was that she's sorry if any of the material uh, made me uncomfortable, but it's the approved curriculum. A student was forced to play the privilege game, the straw um, that broke the camel's back, according to a North Carolina parent, was when a white male teacher made his class of 20 students, including her daughter, play the privilege game. The parent explained how this game worked in the classroom. All students line up horizontally, and then the teacher calls out certain things, and you take steps forward or backwards accordingly, the parent wrote. Well, the teacher would ask students if they have ever been discriminated against because of their skin color or had divorced parents and would take steps forward or backward accordingly. By the end of the exercise, a white male was in front and a black female was in the back with everyone else in between, the parent wrote. And then a teacher called students my little comrades, and it wasn't just a slip of the tongue or just a term of endearment, the parent of a fifth grade student in Chantilly Elementary School, a magnet school in the Charlotte Mecklenburg School District, wrote that a teacher refers to students as my little comrades and my little activists. The teacher constantly talks about political events in a biased manner, the parent wrote. For example, in discussing the January 6th Capitol incident, she told students Trump promoted violence, the parent wrote. She openly uh, supported Black Lives Matter, wearing stickers on her shoes and the LGBT community. The parent wrote, that these political references are ongoing and daily. Now, again, this is uh, these are stories from North Carolina. Uh, one of the lieutenant governors there, a Republican, tried to uncover what's happening in classrooms, making the point that this form of uh, indoctrination in classrooms is widespread there, and it raises questions about what's happening here. Do you know what's being taught in your child's classroom? You need to find out. There may be some reluctance Uh, to get that uh, detailed information, but you need to ask and you need to press and you need to challenge when necessary because the goal is to simply silence opposition, to reward those who agree, to silence and shame those who don't. Uh, So ultimately you win the day. Now, my conversation with Michael Knowles uh, earlier in the program, I think, helps us to think through some of these issues, what political correctness actually is and how to combat it. And I hope you'll... um, Consider reading the book because I think it might help all of us recognize where we've fallen short in trying to resist this um, imposition of an indoctrination and uh, what we might do moving forward. So keep that uh, in your uh, consideration. Well, we're just about out of time. Tomorrow we're going to uh, 
take some time to look at the lighter side of the news. I always enjoy taking a few minutes to, to do that because there's lots of fun and funny things that are happening in the world. Alongside the more serious, sobering and tragic events of the world, we'll cover those as well. And then we'll share the Christian outlook, which offers a, a Christian perspective from some of my um what do you call them? My colleagues from across the country. So we'll look forward uh, to that uh, tomorrow. I wanted to close today's program by just putting things into perspective, remembering in whom we put our trust and that while we may be distressed about events that are taking place around the world, we needn't be um, uh, to the point of despair. And Graham Lotz uh, posted a prayer recently, and I wanted to share that with you as we close today's program. We worship you, Lord Jesus Christ, as the lamb who was slain, but who is now enthroned at the center of the universe as the king of kings and the Lord of lords, soon to return in power and glory. You are Jesus who calmed the stormy seas with just a word. You turned water into wine. You created sight in a man born blind. You raised the dead. You are the same one who set the boundaries for the oceans, the same one who hung the stars in space and called them all by name the same one who strides the winds of the earth so that the clouds are the dust of your feet we worship you we repent of complaining as we wring our hands in despair thinking our nation and our world are falling apart when they are really falling into place right at your feet we repent of being so intimidated by the opinions of others that we are silent and do not boldly proclaim who you are we repent We choose to surrender our lives to your power and authority and utter moment-by-moment dependence on your moment-by-moment control. We choose now to trust you. We ask that your power would would permeate our lives, our churches, and our nation, that in the light of your presence, evil spirits would flee, that your strong arm would protect us from the encroaching evil and deliver us. We humbly ask that you would deliver us in our hearts. For your glory, amen. And then Revelation 19.11, again, puts things into perspective. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We are under his authority, and he has not changed So rather than despair, we can cry out to God with our concerns, trust that he hears us and know that he's got the whole world in his hand. Want to thank Justin Mansfield for producing and engineering today's program and thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great night and I hope you'll join us here again tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G. Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.